1: All right, you're back in the DFSR. It's an NFL podcast. Today's Friday, November 9th. I'm Doug Norrie. That is James Davis. I feel like I live in the DFSR today, buddy, with all the
2: DFSR-related content we're shipping out right now.
1: Oh, my goodness. Picks for basketball already up. Uh-huh. NBA podcast just went up a little bit ago. Uh-huh. We pivot right over to football. We've got you all covered here at DFSR.com. Slash deals will get you started. That's optimal lineups for NFL, NBA as well. We covered all in the one subscription package. Go check out our, our members only premium chat. People love to talk sports in there all day long. We're in there most evenings with basketball, definitely all day Sunday talking football. Um, it's one of the biggest value adds we think we bring uh, to the DFS community. So go check that out. DFSR.com slash deals. We'll get you started. Full suite of tools uh, for FanDuel and DraftKings. All right, uh right. We're going to break down. Sunday's game by game for week 10. We'll go through um, kind of some of the, and not as much injury news this week as there has been in, in previous weeks. If uh, there was a couple things hanging out there, but most guys are just like limited in practice, which is usually code for going to play. Uh, mm-hmm. So a couple questionable tags, a couple guys we already know are out. And if you want to go back and listen to some of our cash game thoughts, go check that out. Uh, we put that out yesterday on the feed. And we'll, we'll, we'll kind of, we'll nod to some of those guys that we talked about here as well. But we're going to get into this because there's a lot to discuss. Redskins go in, and play Tampa. Tampa is three-point home favorites. They started at one-point home favorites up to three. Uh, the line moving away. Actually, just moving in the wrong direction. Or the, moving in directions for both teams. So up on the points for Tampa Bay. Down on the points for Washington. It wasn't things that moved across the board. Where do you stand? We talked about Fitzpatrick at length here Um uh, for the cash game articles, I don't, cash game podcast, I don't think we need to co- totally go back in and, and talk about no, him, but I your overall thoughts a from a DFS perspective. Did. Like Mike Evans right now is a guy that's showing up in some of our yeah. optimal lineups. I get why, because the, the, the targets we have on him do reflect the targets that he's sort of seen this year. And he's coming off a 10 target one for 16 <laughs> per, for performance <laughs> last week. That is legit as bad as you can get on 10 targets. Would you feel comfortable if you're staring down Sunday, 1 PM Eastern and Mike Evans at 7,500 is in your fan lineup?
2: I feel okay with it. I think, you know, I was going back and looking at Evans because I also noticed the same thing you did. And he was actually pretty efficient in those first three games of the season when Fitzpatrick was throwing to him. Uh, In those games, he was, I mean, incredible 17 for 19 in terms of conversion in the first two games, and then went six for 11 in the following one. And, you know, Evans has been always one of these guys that we look to as a terrible conversion guy. But that was also with Jameis Winston, a much less accurate passer than this current incarnation of Ryan Fitzpatrick. So, I, I, I hate to see it when he goes one for 10, but I do think that that will be the outlier going forward rather than the rule. And I think, you know, something more in that, you know, 60 to 65 conversion percentage rate is where I would project him. And I think if that's the case and you think he's going to get 10 targets, then I think you'd probably play him.
1: What about they have some other pass catchers that I find to be interesting, and I think other people will this week as well. Especially, you know, look at Adam Humphreys. Adam Humphreys actually from a from a conversion standpoint was the, the legit opposite of Evans last week. He was eight for eight, yeah. caught caught two touchdowns the week before, uh, where Fitzpatrick came in uh, late in the game and just mm-hmm. lit the world on fire for like a quarter and a half of the of that one. He was seven for he had ten targets, seven, caught seven balls for seventy six yards. As he a like is he firmly like just jumped over Deshaun Jackson in terms of like who the actual wide receiver 2 is. I get that Jackson uh lines up for I you know I take that back because in week 8 uh, Humphrey's actually outsnapped him. Uh let me just look. I can look at this real quick. One second. Um it, Humphrey's outsnapped in that game. The targets have been there is he a guy that like he's only thirty nine hundred on Fanduel? Yeah, he actually, yeah, no, he's actually, 5, I take this back. I, 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 I'm fully, 3, I'm fully 8, back 10. around that Humphreys here. He outsnapped Jackson fifty five to thirty two last week as well. Is he just firmly in the wide receiver two category? He's only thirty nine hundred on Draft DraftKings. Strikes me as like maybe just a possession cash guy.
2: Yeah, I think you play him. I think fifty seven hundred on Fanduel is also a totally reasonable price tag. And I think yeah, the point about Jackson, you know, we were making this early in the season, basically asking the questions can your number one and two receiver really be Deshaun Jackson and Mike Evans? Because both of those guys, historically, they're kind of the same receiver, except for Evans is a much better version of it than Jackson is. And, you know, we've seen recently, you know, Jackson, first of all, not getting targeted very much. And even when he is not doing a whole lot with it, Um, you know, basically since that Atlanta game, he went four catches for on nine targets, two for four, three out of eight and two out of four. Like it just doesn't seem to be, an aspect of the offense that's working particularly well. So, while he was also much more efficient with Fitzpatrick under center to start this season, I think that Evans Humphreys pairing is a lot more like a like a Diggs Thelen or you know one of these teams or even like Woods and Cooks or something, uh, where you kind of match a possession guy with a deep threat. And I think that's where this team will probably be headed going forward.
1: Yep, and like I said, I'm just encouraged about the snap count. If he's just going to out snap him, you know, yep. one and a half to one or whatever the, the, the number ends up being. That is worth something, Uh, and I think that you know I bumped him up to eight targets for this week, which I don't know. That seems conservative and probably a fair number based on the last couple weeks. And a thirty-nine hundred on DraftKings, he's a guy that now all of a sudden is starting to pop up into some top lineups. OJ Howard, we talked about. You know, we know week to week, tight end is just a disaster. We talked about Doyle as being our easy play, but it's Howard's touchdown like the touchdown equity you get from him especially because he just does seem to be a target near the red zone is that enough to consider in cash games or i mean gpp only definitely have to at least consider him based on the touchdowns
2: yeah you consider him based on the touchdowns and understand that you're paying up for a guy who the target share probably isn't there for like at least relative to this price point like just imagine there was a wide receiver for $6,500 who is getting targeted four and six times a game you just wouldn't consider it Uh, in tight ends while obviously we hold them to a different standard because they just tend to be worse overall I just don't see any reason to play him over I mean for cash over someone like Jack Doyle or something and I also think for big tournaments a lot of people are going to have the same idea and therefore you're not really getting away with as much like if you thought he was going to have one percent ownership or something sure you just play him and hope it's the week where he catches two touchdowns but I think he could be overrepresented in the pool anyway and in that case I'd rather fade him I think I get more you know, good positive separation from the field by fading a guy who's not a very good value in my mind.
1: I think this is the first week we've gone in uh, not wanting to target at least some part of a passing game against the Bucks, and that, not that we don't want to, but we just run into a team in Washington that. Has a passing? I mean, I should, I'm putting "passing attack" in quotes. That's not what it is. There's nothing. There's no part of this that's an attack. Um, the they have a passing game in that they will occasionally throw passes. Now, Smith did throw 46 passes last week. Maurice Harris had a huge game: 12 targets, caught 10 for 124. Again, though, every single week because of the way our system is built, we've had guys against Tampa Bay's passing defense. There's no other way around it. And this is the and this is the first week where we haven't. Is it just that Washington's Opportunity, I mean, put that in quotes too. Opportunity is just too spread out. Like, I mean, they have guys like Harris, they have Reed, they really don't throw to the wide receivers a lot. I don't know. I get a little weirded out because this is the very best matchup you can have through the air. And this is a week where we just don't have much in the way of targets for the Redskins. Yeah. And I think that that
2: actually highlights the Redskins as a pretty good big tournament target if you figure that they're going to know what everyone knows and, you know, know, that Tampa Bay is pretty bad against the pass. Uh, so someone like Maurice Harris, who actually finally came out and fulfilled the promise that we had in place. Talking. Don't
1: even get me started on that BS because this is a guy that I've wanted to target heavily week to week I because I thought okay, that he okay. had some of this big game in him and then kind of just get off him for a week because it, the consistency has been there and then he just blows it out of the box. So I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I guess what a little I'm saying bit... is
2: for, for big tournaments, you can still look at him. and Just because I think, given that he didn't get in the end zone, I mean, certainly people will be aware of him, but the heavy target share and the The fact that that game is possible, and the fact that he's going up against one of the worst passing defenses in the league, means that if there is someone on this team, you might want to think about. uh, It might be him. The other guy, uh, no, never mind. Yeah, well, Jordan Reed. I think you might have mentioned him already too. But I think we, I think there, there will be a big Jordan Reed game at some point, uh, just based on the target share too, and now the decreased price. And I don't see any reason why this couldn't be it too. So
1: yeah. Um, reason to be concerned on Reed from last week. The only thing that I'd be, and it's a guy I wanted to be bullish on in the past. Uh, he had 37 snaps. Vernon Davis had 32 and Davis actually out was out targeted seven to six over Reed. It's mostly the snaps that I look at there. Um, if you're going to start splitting tight end snaps and those tight end sets. Yeah. And that kind not of kills be, it for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not going to be in the field as much. That just is, that can just be death obviously for your fantasy production. All right, let's move on. Saints. Another real, uh, pretty game that we're going to want to highlight here. Saints. And the Bengals, Saints right now five and a half point road favorites after a huge win against the Rams last week that vaults them into the you know the conversation of one of the best teams in football. They were already kind of there, but it's kind of a statement win over LA. Now they go on the road to face the Bengals. Bengals coming off the bye week. Let's start with the Saints. We talked about Kamara um, and how uh, at length yesterday, and we talked a little bit about Michael Thomas as well. This is a, when you see this total. Is it going to be? is it can it be hard to fade in cash like what if we walked into this week knowing these guys have like a close to 30 total right now Kamara showing in the some lineups Thomas not really there Breeze not there is this a game that you'd be scared to watch knowing that maybe you didn't have a ton of exposure to the same side <laughs> I mean maybe I,
2: I think Kamara I'll probably have some exposure to him so that softens the blow of all the points that could potentially go up in this game I've talked about Breeze I maybe I actually wrote about this in the cash game article uh, going into the week but Breeze is kind of interesting, and this has happened to him in the past, where he, the Saints scoring tons of points recently doesn't necessarily mean that Breeze is getting there on top-tier price tags, right? So against Minnesota, the guy throws 23 passes for 120 yards and a touchdown. Like He has these bad games in him against the Giants. 32 passing attempts, 9 fantasy points, right? Uh, when your running game is this good and your team is this willing to give the ball to running backs, especially down and low, especially for talented guys like Kamara, who we used to think about more as uh, not between the tackles, quote-unquote running backs. Uh, That just means that it's going to lower your floor. And so I think Breeze, good quarterback. I wouldn't kill anyone for playing him, certainly, but I think he brings less safety than he has in the past for sure.
1: I think you'll see Thomas's ownership a little bit higher than maybe it should be, just based on last week's performance. Uh, I try not to auto overcorrect on that. Uh, they do do tend to throw the ball less now that they have the two running backs, like you said. Now that they have the two running backs firmly in the mix, they did they signed Des Bryant uh, over the course of the week. I do not know if he's planning on playing this week. Um, I know he's on the team now. It's a very interesting signing, bringing him to a. It's be interesting to bring Dez into a situation where the team is solidified. There's clear hierarchy of who is the who are the best players in the team like something that he really never had in Dallas with like basically a Hall of Fame quarterback it'll be interesting to see how he responds because he's always been like so you know he's obviously an emotional guy and was not in a good situation for a guy with his temperament, and now walks into the completely opposite situation of the Saints. I'm not saying target him in DFS, but I am interested to see how he kind of like meshes with this team, not having had this situation for his whole career. Uh, On the Cincinnati side, New Orleans is a really interesting defense when you look at it from sort of like a funnel perspective because they have been awful, one of the league's worst against the pass this year. They ranked 29th in DVOA, and then they ranked third against the run. Um, It's really pretty rare that you see a team... I mean, I'm going to use these these words so good against one aspect of the game and so bad against the other. Do you think it's these things are kind of anomalies like that? You know, just the nature of the game kind of like pushes a team to be better against one thing than the other, or is this like a, a situation where like okay, well, we can't target Joe Mixon, but we can target the whole passing game? Like, what do you see when you, when you how do you, how do you kind of interpret numbers like this where they're, they're just so divergent for the same defense?
2: Yeah, well, when numbers are so divergent for the same defense, I tend to lend credence to it. I think that. Oftentimes, teams know their strengths and oftentimes it becomes this game of cat and mouse where the other team knows their strengths as well. And so in some ways, it becomes sort of a self fulfilling prophecy where then opposing teams will, you know, kind of just switch up their game plan. And then only run in the most, you know, quote-unquote obvious spots, let's say. And then the other team knows it's coming, and that drives down the yards per carry further. Uh, I will say with, like, Mixon in particular, we saw this against Tampa Bay, who appeared to have one of these divergent defenses early in the season. And it just turns out when Mixon and Cincinnati wanted to run on them, they just did anyway. (laughs) (laughs) They just went out there and Mixon touched the ball 24 times for 138 yards and two touchdowns. So, I don't worry. I, I guess you want to consider it you want to consider it particularly in light of like the implied game script here and i think given that vegas has the saints as five and a half point favorites that leads me to believe that uh cincinnati will probably spend more time passing the ball.
1: yeah and then on the passing side we obviously aj green is going to be out this game we talked about tyler boyd and maybe you know reasons to be bullish and maybe reasons to be also bearish in the same in the same token with boyd um this is a Saints defense has let a lot a lot of air excuse me a lot of yards through the air this season um it, it will be a little easier for them to hone in on boyd here what do we make of the rest of their passing game though because aj green and boyd have dominated the 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 overall target share for this right. team you do lose a lot of targets in green we talked yesterday about how you really can't just transplant them all onto boyd but what do you get from guys like John Ross? I mean, the Alex Erickson, that's hard to even say that name. I, the, the tight end situation has been weird. This is a weird team. I, I had difficulty redistributing the targets because I don't want to put, you can't give Boyd 20 targets. Um, but I did have a little difficulty sort of redistributing some of where that passing is going to go in an obviously good situation against the Saints.
2: Yeah, I think this is a hard thing to do in general uh, when you don't have pre existing precedents for guys that were already like, you know, like uh, the, uh, the easiest way to do this is when a team has three receivers that they're already throwing to with some yep. amount of regularity and then one of those guys goes down. That tends to mean an increase for the other two. In the case of the Bengals where it was really just two guys in green and Boyd that were garnering most of the target share. And then you have guys like John Ross. People can say as much as they want, but the guy had one target last week and <laughs> no catches, right? So um, any, any play of any of these guys, like, you know, guessing and trying to figure out if you're going to be the one who figures out who's going to step in and get all these snaps and targets unless you're a team insider or something like that. I think it's it's basically total speculation. I mean, Alex Erickson at least had the four targets against Tampa Bay, but he's just done actual nothing when he's been targeted this season too. So I don't know. I, I don't relish the thought of trying to play any of these non-Tyler Boyd related receivers for cash game purposes.
1: And this is all to say, it wouldn't shock me to have one of these guys have a huge game in playing catch-up, right? Like, if they're going to be playing from behind and they're just going to have to pass, um, to have one of these guys have, uh, you know, a 7-for-90 game. And I would and I would consider that to be a big game at their all their current price point outside of Boyd. All the rest of the guys, like, a 7-for-90 game out of any one of these other guys would be tan amount to excellent value, and just trying to figure out who that guy is going to be. Maybe maybe it just means you see even more Joe Mixon in the passing game. They've been willing to throw to him a lot, um, so maybe you know what the lack of running he possibly gets just turns into playing catch up and getting balls out of the backfield. I still want to be sort of bullish on mixing here because I think he'll see the overwhelming amount of running back snaps. And I get why our system is kind of giving him a downgrade because the Saints have been just so good on defense against the run this season. All right, let's move on. Patriots go in and play the Titans. Patriots are six and a half point favorites. They have injury tags all over the place here. Uh, Sony Michel did not play last week. It looks like he's limited in practice, which makes me think he is going to play this week. Gronk's another guy that didn't play last week. He's been limited in practice. Seems like he's going to play. So I think we can probably take the Cordell Pratterson, James White duo that we were sort of dreaming on for running back, uh, maybe stacking running backs off the table. Are they getting too healthy here to really consider at their current price points? Um, whenever you get Gronk back, you got to take a few targets away from the guys like Gordon and Edelman. The running back situation obviously gets really muddy if they have now three guys that they feel confident out of the backfield. What do we do with the Patriots team? It's supposed to be a lot of points, but it feels like they're just almost too healthy for anything but GPP plays.
2: Yeah, I think Edelman is still—there's still room for growth on Edelman's price, in my opinion. Uh, you know, nine or ten targets in back-to-back weeks. Uh, no touchdowns there, so the price hasn't really climbed. Thanks to the not random inflation of his overall score based on that. I think that Edelman will settle in as you know close to an eight thousand dollars player, the way he has in the past. Um, I think also like Edelman doesn't really Edelman doesn't really compete for targets with a guy like Josh Gordon in my mind. Maybe you can argue that he competes with Gronk, but yeah, nonetheless, I think that. I am still an Edelman believer at a seventy three hundred dollars price tag. I actually think that some of these guys, like Gordon too, based on how explosive he can be when he does catch the ball. Uh, you know, he's turned four targets or four receptions yep. into one hundred yards and five receptions into one thirty this season with Brady. I think there's obviously upside for big tournaments there too. But um, yeah, for cash game purposes, I think really Edelman is the only guy I would be looking at here. Um,
1: on the Tennessee side, tough to get excited for this team. I do want to point out though yeah. that over the last couple of weeks. Deion Lewis has Derrick Henry's role in this team is pretty basically all but over. I, uh, Lewis outsnapped him 59 to 14 last week. Uh, he had 19 carries for 62 yards. Uh, also had four targets through the air. Was just easily the guy that they wanted to target for a through running back. I mean, that's kind of you can kind of see that coming for Derrick Henry. The guy just doesn't look, just look slow. I don't really know the way to put it. Um, Lewis for every bit looks like he's going to be the the running back going forward. He's coming pretty cheap on draftkings. If you thought that they were playing from behind and he was going to be part of like even their hurry up offense, he's only 4600 and knowing that he likely just outsnaps easily outsnaps Henry in this game as well. Could you take a stab at him in cash games our system almost wants to at 4600 knowing that his role might be, you know, a 55 snap game with some targets out of the backfield.
2: Yeah, the, you're really encouraged by the targets the last two games. I mean, six and then four, and connecting on all ten of those uh, for 124 yards and a touchdown. Like that's that's really supplementing his production quite considerably. And if you think they fall behind to the Patriots and he loses carries, that might just mean he gets these more efficient touches anyway in the targets. So, yeah, he's very very cheap. Certainly a big tournament play for me. Back to back good weeks on this price, and yeah, I, I don't see. I, I I can understand why people might be concerned for just like you know plugging him in and just running with it for cash game purposes but yeah for big tournaments I'm, I'm definitely there and i think i could be talked into it for cash too but i just have to really weigh, wrap my mind around how that where i'm going to
1: benefit from those savings i guess is what i'd really have to think about and then buddy once you apply the revenge game multiplier it's just oh, like the sky the sky's oh, the literal oh, limit oh, geez,
2: oh yeah baby. About yeah
1: that. you get those you get those ha- revenge game narratives going for a guy and all of a sudden you take him from like I don't know, just I not know, twenty-five to thirty percent more production easily, just when he has that in his mind. Oh. I think uh, Deion Lewis is a guy that will probably end up talking. Not, not. I'm joking about the revenge game, but is a guy that will end up talking about Sunday morning as where we just kind of land with him in terms of if is he cash game viable. Atlanta goes in and plays Cleveland. This game started with Atlanta as a three and a half point favorite, is up to six and a half points, uh, mostly coming. Well, I mean, obviously, all coming on the uh, on the Atlanta side. We did talk about Nick Chubb as uh, we'll get to we'll get to him in a second actually. Let me start with atlanta um twenty eight and a half points for a team that has they' another one I, It's hard to kind of hone in on where all their points are going to come from. The running back situation has essentially been split between Edo Smith and Tevin Coleman. Coleman did slightly outsnap him thirty nine to twenty eight last week saw a lot of targets, five, seven targets to the air actually ended up scoring two receiving touchdowns. Uh, which is funny too, cause that's been mostly been Edo Smith's role leading up into that, but it's hard to trust the running back situation. And then obviously Julio Jones finally finds the end zone last week, goes for seven, 121 on a touch, Ridley gets there too. This is another one where the guys have been consistent, fairly consistent, not Julio with the touchdowns, but everyone else with the production fairly consistent in terms of their opportunity and the prices have come up. And when you look at this team, is it can you really just kind of hone in on one place where you'd like to spend? Because it strikes me as another game with a high total where I'm just not exactly sure how safe I feel for cash games for any one of these guys.
2: Yeah. You know me. I mean, I'm no fan of wanting to play running backs in unclear situations like this where people are, you know, splitting touches. And I get that Coleman's been, it's kind of been weird because Coleman historically was the guy who was carrying the ball more and not getting the passes out of the backfield. But now He's splitting the carries, but he is getting, at least last game, did get the targets out of the backfield. So it's hard to totally know what the plan is going forward. And all that being said, I'm certainly not going to pay $7,300 for the pleasure of trying to figure it out. I think your point about it being a game with a high total but not a lot of value, on the Atlanta side at least, is probably a pretty salient one here too. I mean, I, I did write up Julio Jones, and he is my personal favorite big money wide receiver of the week. I certainly like him for big tournaments. I think I like him more than Michael Thomas because I think he'll have lower ownership and just as much, if not more, upside. Um, but even like Matt Ryan, you know, it's it comes together some weeks. Like two of Tevin Coleman's touchdowns happened to come through the air last week. If they don't, you're looking at another, you know, pretty pedestrian performance on these absolute top-tier prices. So, yeah, Falcons, they're a classic team where I think if you pick the right parts, you can get there in a big tournament. But for cash, if you pick the wrong parts, you're going to be pretty disappointed.
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty much where I land. And then, like I said, with the Browns, we talked about Chubb as a possible, even cash game play, considering how they used him game script be damned. They don't care if they're losing. The guy still carries the ball 20 times. It's not going to get, and they did start featuring Duke Johnson more out of the air last week, which people have been, many analytics guys have been wondering, like what the hell took so long to get this guy just more touches because he's usually so efficient through the air and they just haven't been able to do it. Did start to get there last week. And then we mentioned Jarvis Landry as a possible cash game play. How close to Baker is Baker's a guy that we've kind of considered at times, but I, in games where he's going to play from behind, it seems like the volume should be there. He's sort of at times got there on his price. What are your thoughts on Mayfield, even as a GPP upside, especially if you're going to maybe like double game stack or see we game stack this one, like yeah. with Julio and then maybe Baker and Langer going the other way. Do you think that's viable for GPPs?
2: Yeah, I actually think that would be a great trio. Uh, maybe even you can throw in Njoku if you want to get some separation after a total uh, disappearance last week. Um, the thing I like about stacking... You know, multiple ends of a team like Cleveland is that they're all so cheap that they don't need to do that much to get you the the multipliers that you need. So, compared to like Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, well, both of them need to be absolutely incredible in order to. Like probably the best at their position in terms of raw fantasy points in order to show up in a GPP winning lineup, uh, whereas Baker and Landry don't really. You know, if Landry scores 22 fantasy points that can easily land him in, in a GPP winning lineup, and I think that's that makes perfect sense to me. Um, I think with Mayfield, you know, the problem with him for cash is that, like we wrote up, I think there are, are probably safer. Just generally better options at a very similar price tag like Fitzpatrick and Trubisky. But yeah, I think for a big tournament, a Cleveland stack gets you a lot of separation and, and maybe some upside too.
1: Um, moving into Cardinals and Chiefs, Chiefs with as big as a home favorite line you're ever really going to see in football. They're 16.5 point favorites against the Cardinals who are actually coming off a buy. Uh, I mean, the Cardinals are just hashtag horrible. But um, right now, Chiefs with 33.25 uh implied uh, 33.25 implied total and we talked about what this means for how you kind of kind of attack cash games when the game when the game could look like it could be completely out of hand I mean even by halftime that's how just how good Kansas City's offense is is it is it too risky to kind of start running even the running back because like Hunt is obviously a volume guy and is as good as any running back in football at this point and with the threat that he might not see the fourth quarter, how risky is this situation plus the passing game? Like, is is, is this a situation where the line is going to dictate a risk that is maybe just not acceptable for, at least for cash games?
2: I mean, for me, the passing game is just almost already too overpriced, even if I wasn't concerned about the line. So guys like Hill, uh, Kelsey, Mahomes, I'm just not confident that any of these guys is going to maintain these prices over the course of the rest of the season. I mean, maybe they just do based on popularity, but Tyree Kills is a $7,600 wide receiver. Who's had nine targets in the last two weeks. Like, right. what are you doing? Like you're going to play him over Tyler Boyd with no aging green. Like you're just not going to play him. Uh, and likewise, Kelsey at 8,000, you know, he's been the best tight end from a fantasy perspective. No question about it. But again, if, if I'm going to pay $8,000 for someone who catches balls, do I need a guy who's only had double-digit targets once in the last five weeks? Like, just probably not, right? I can probably just get someone who gets targeted a lot more. Uh, so, you know, all good players, really, really good offense. The passing side is overpriced to me. I think you can make a strong case for Kareem Hunt. Uh, he was heavily owned last week. He was excellent. He's going to score a lot of this team's touchdowns when they get close. And nine thousand also just might be too much if you take the eighteen touches he had last week as a reasonable proxy for what you might expect in a game that they're slated to win by 17 points, uh, then you might just not want to do that either. So uh, I think Hunt is the most attractive to me, and I probably still will look elsewhere for my cash games here.
1: Yeah, um, on the Arizona side, look, they're huge underdogs. And Larry Fitzgerald did finally see a double-digit target game uh, before the buy. In week eight, he had 12 tar- I just had an affirming shoot. Uh, he had 12 targets. I think he actually ended up getting into the end zone as well. Yeah, twelve targets, one hundred and two yards, and a touchdown. Is I mean, is there any case to be made for him? Like in a game where they're going to be playing catch up? I mean, I've, we've been wanting for David Johnson to get targets, it just hasn't really materialized over the course of the season. He only saw four targets last week. Is this are they just too big underdogs here, or is like is there some scenario where because Casey has a lot, of, a lot allowed a lot of yards and a lot of points this season, they just have just done it because they just give the ball back to the other team over and over and over again because they keep scoring touchdowns. Um, is there upside at all on some of these Arizona guys, knowing that? they're going to have to definitely put it in there, at least a decent amount this game.
2: Yeah, I think there's clearly upside. I mean, I think you could even make a case for someone like Larry Fitzgerald for cash. Uh, 28 targets over the last three weeks, touchdowns in each of the last two. Obviously, the targets are not as good as they used to be back in the old days, Doug, before we were fathers, let's say. <laughs> and, uh, right. uh, Fitzgerald was... Actually, you know, turning ten targets into 150 yards or whatever, but yeah, I think he's still playable, and, and 5800 is very, very cheap for a guy averaging nine targets a game right now. All
1: right, in moving into
2: oh, sorry, would you? I'm just in the last three games, I wanted to say he's not averaging that on the season. But
1: Bills go in and play the Jets. Oh boy, you got to right, be a real next. football fan that want to tune into this one. I, like, and uh, Sam Darn, <laughs> Sam Darnold, I believe, has been ruled out for this game, and they are the Jets are still. Let me just make sure about that with Darnold. I guess he's questionable right now. The Jets are still seven point favorites against the Bills, who, I mean, just couldn't be worse. Now, there was a hilarious note come through Twitter this morning that says the Bills declined to name a starting quarterback uh, this week this uh, for this Sunday. Do you think they declined to do it because all the options they have are too embarrassing, or they just don't know, or like right they just don't not. want to Mind get it? Like, that's,
2: that's what I would say, you know? <laughs> We're I just dealing with like here. We declined. By the way, I, I did see a note here. It, Fandle anyway is claiming, or their injury feed is claiming that Darnold uh, won't start again in this game. So I think if that's the case, the only thing, just because this podcast is going to go long anyway, and we have a 12 o'clock appointment, so I don't want you to forget about that, is the okay. uh, is the Bills defense. I think you can play, uh, frankly, either defense here, but the Bills defense is cheap. So I like that.
1: Yeah, I don't mind that. And the Jets defense as well. I mean, this Bills team can't do a single thing on offense. They, they the, the sites have price corrected for when teams play the Bills. Uh, that being said, we still have the Jets as the highest overall projected defense of this week. They are 3,400 on DraftKings, which again, that's expensive. And there's uh, a couple other cheap options that we probably end up, we usually end up defaulting, at least on DraftKings, to go a little bit cheaper. Uh, Jets are, yeah, 4,900 on FanDuel, probably a little bit too expensive. And this is still the Bills, and they are implied for 14.75 points. This team, it's just, it's gotta be uh, embarrassing to do it. Now Jets, uh, what last thing, with Darnold not, probably not gonna play, and actually their wide receiver core is getting fairly healthy with getting guys like an unwin Anderson uh, back into the mix so I'm just not sure there's a lot to like and they uh last week we we kind of were wondering about what was going to happen with their running game once Bilal Powell uh, went down with injury Elijah McGuire did get some get got some more attempts last week and was actually oh no sorry never mind he got more he out snapped Kroll 36 to 23 uh and didn't just didn't really do enough to make it worth worth your while Bill's defense still pretty good on defense all right let's move on uh Detroit goes in and plays Chicago Chicago six and a half point favorite. We saw what happened with them last week when they were big favorites in the game and how they kind of wanted to use Jordan Howard. He ended up scoring a couple touchdowns was not very good. Otherwise like just doesn't catch any balls to the air uh, really he ended up with 14 carries 47 yards. We got those two touchdowns. Do you think we see another game where he has, he can get to 15 or 16 carries and I'm not sure, does it does even matter knowing that they don't use him through the air. And Tara Cohen still did out snap him last week.
2: No, and we're in a place now where you can just get viable running backs that aren't in timeshares at that price tag. So I'm not going to bother with the Howard Cohen dance this week. Uh, Cohen or Howard was in like our FanDuel one lineup for a while. I think that lineup wound up being the number two overall lineup. But after seeing what happened against Buffalo and what rated it to be a very similar game script, I'm not enthusiastic about playing him and his potential 14, 15 touches uh, in a mid $6,000 price tag.
1: And we mentioned Trubisky as a guy that if he can get there with his legs, uh, he's a very fa- he's a viable fantasy quarterback yeah. and he just has to get there through the running because the passing is never there in enough volume uh, for it to really matter. Only other injury news for them, Allen Robinson, who I believe sat out last week, is on track to play this week, uh, which basically just ends up spreading around their targets a little bit more. They haven't turned any of their receivers into... Like what? Even really wide receiver two eligible kind of guys. They just they just don't have a prolific enough of a passing attack. And then we talked about Marvin Jones as a, still a, a possibility. Even Kenny Galladay. Just going back to that. Well, in a game where they're going to play catch up, it's hard to imagine the Lions playing worse than they played last week, um, at least through the air. And famous last words and all because Chicago's still a pretty good defense. Jacksonville goes in and plays the Colts. Colt right now, minus three home favorites, uh, which is basically saying Vegas sees these two teams as fairly equal. It looks like Leonard Fournette is going to play this week. He's been set out for a while because of injury. We've seen the Jags not really care too much about, like, guys' health or whatever because they just will – this guy's been hurt with a hamstring and then they'll just go back out and just pound the ball with 22 carries or whatever. But now they have Carlos Hyde there. They've they played TJ Yeldon enough. I mean, is there any reason to be bullish at all on Fournette or is this kind of, again, a wait-and-see approach – with what Jacksonville plans to do. I only say that because in the past, they've seen to be negligent about what it means to just what you should do with your running back. So I'm not confident they changed their ways. What are your, what are your thoughts on Fournette here?
2: Yeah, Fournette, I don't know. <laughs> like Again, I'm back in the case where I, I get to pick from all of my available running backs, and I'm going to pick a guy in his first game back at a $7,000 price tag when he was already like pretty underwhelming to start the season. Just, no, I, I don't. I don't want to do it. That's my take
1: um they were they were on the buy last week the game before we saw um no ah, never mind i thought dante Moncrief had a double digit target that game he did not all right coltside they face a, a defense in the jacksonville obviously uh, still pretty highly rated. Have a good uh, have a good secondary. Although AJ Boy it looks like he's going to sit out this week. We talked about Jack Doyle as uh, to me or to both of us just easily the clear cash gameplay uh, for the Colts. Other than that, though, what else can we do? With the, you know, there are some points here for them. Uh, Twenty five points is not is not nothing, even against a good Jacksonville defense. We've seen Luck have a lot of pass attempts in certain games when the game goes correct, and we've even seen guys like Marlon Mack. And Marlon Mack carried the ball 25 times for 132 and two touchdowns before the break. Are we? Can we pu- start putting him near the, the group of guys that, not like elite level kind of carries, but it's rare to have a, a running back on any team get 25 carries in a game and actually had four targets, so like 29 total looks in this game. What do we want to do with Max implied usage? Because that kind of, I don't know, very few running backs have put up that kind of, t- those many touches in one single game.
2: Yeah, I think Mac is actually a very interesting target this week. I mean, especially for big tournaments. I hate to hedge that way every single time, but right. that's the world I'm living in at the moment. Uh, just because Jacksonville, you know, Bowie's potential absence notwithstanding, second best team in terms of yards per attempt allowed this season. Just like, and this is no fluke. They were excellent against the pass last year too. Uh, but middle of the pack against the run. And so I think if the Colts look at that and know that they have a pretty lackluster passing attack themselves. Uh, you know, they have thrown the ball a lot, but gotten away from that a little bit the last two weeks when they've actually had an effective running game. I think you could see them start by establishing the run. And I think in a perfect world for them, they're happy to luck or have luck sit out there for like more like the 30 passing attempts he had against Oakland or even the 23 he had against Buffalo rather than like the, the 60s he was putting up when things were going pretty poorly for them in the middle of the season. So, yeah, I think I like Mac. I think the opportunity will continue to be there. And given that Jacksonville's offense themselves is not particularly great, I think that, you know, the Colts could be absolutely in a game script where they just want to run the ball. So uh, minus three favorites. Sure. Give me some back
1: today. Chargers go in and play the Raiders. Chargers, another one of these big favorites uh, that where we typically want to take a look at the running back in this situation. They're 10-point road favorites against, uh, I mean, just one of the worst teams of football in the Raiders. Raiders rank 32nd against the pass in DVOA this season, 25th against the run. It seems like the Chargers should have their way, at least on offense. They are another team with a really high total. Melvin Gordon's a guy, I, this is a guy we've wanted to consider in cash before. He butts up against that elite usage kind of running back situation. And when we're looking at, uh, big home big excuse me big favorites that need not be at home minus 10 is really that sweet spot of where you want to start uh, rostering running backs how close are we to playing gordon in cash um, or has just like he, the guy also has not topped more than 20 carries in a game give me your thoughts here on the chargers
2: yeah gordon i mean he's certainly in that group of guys that you put in the top tier of running back and he's been excellent when he has the ball this season, which is like actually kind of different than <laughs> what, what we've gotten used to with Gordon in the past. I do think at 9,000, though, you're basically counting on one point something touchdowns per game for him to routinely pay value. And I, I just don't know that the 10 touchdowns he has so far will be indicative of where he will sit when the season ends, right? So it, it definitely seems like they want to give him the ball, uh, but still, you're paying a guy, you're paying 9,000 for someone who is not quite in the top, top, top tier of overall opportunity. And, you know, again, if I'm up in that category and I can only play a couple of those guys, for me personally, I don't
1: think Melvin Gordon will be the guy I pick. It's interesting because I was going to ask you, we have projected very similarly between Kareem Hunt and Melvin Gordon. How much would the blowout make you worried about about, about Hunt? Like the opportunity is probably a little bit more there, but maybe the game script keeps Gordon in the game. Do you have a conviction about Hunt over Gordon?
2: I'd rather play Hunt, I think. I think he's just... Uh, Probably just better I think his team is better and one thing I don't see from Hunt as much as Gordon is like I'd be pretty surprised to see Kareem Hunt have like the nine carry game Gordon had earlier this season or you know Gordon also has four games this season where he had 16 or fewer carries now granted he's heavily featured in the passing game and that raises the floor more than those carry totals would imply but yeah I don't know I, I guess
1: just this is just total eyeball test off the top of my head but I think I'd rather have Hunt. Keenan Allen finally uh, goes back up to 10 targets last game, got six balls for 124 yards. Been generally not the kind of guy we thought we were getting going into the season coming off. Uh, elite target share, it hasn't completely materialized, and yet this is an Oakland team that's one of the very worst in the league. Uh, defending the pass, uh, could he, he kind of like vault himself back up into that elite touch, elite target kind of guy, or are you just like not seeing enough of it this season? Um, his he's topped 100 yards only in one game. Target share has been nowhere near where we thought was going to go into the season, but like I said, 10 targets last game, good, uh, good matchup here. What are your thoughts on Keenan Allen?
2: Yeah, he's not a cash game play. Uh, the sub eight thousand dollar price tag looks appropriate to me. And the Chargers, as many as much as any team right now, have totally changed their overall approach this season. I mean, Rivers hasn't thrown more than 27 passes in any of the last four games, <laughs> so his highest total on the season was that 51-pass game against Kansas City, but after that, he's uh, only topped 30 one other time. So I'm not a believer in the Chargers passing game, really, from any angle.
1: And then Oakland, uh, they're just such a mess. I don't even know what to do with this team. Uh, the Carr attempted 21 passes last game. No one saw more than four targets. Um, they're they a hard got, skip. That's what they, like I, th- I think you can consider the Chargers defense and just sort of move on here. All right, yeah. final game. Oh, no, excuse me, two more games in the main slate. Seattle goes in and plays the Rams. Rams, another 10-point favorite here uh, at home, coming off the loss against the Saints, uh, which had to hurt a little bit, especially if they had their – kind of eyes set on an undefeated season but come back in here as heavy favorites Gurley's price actually drops again on DraftKings uh, down to 9,400 do we he's probably a little too expensive on draft on FanDuel where he's up over 10,000 don't think you really need to do it there but at 9,400 with Gurley 10 point favorite at home this is again exactly what you want to see out of the running back especially a guy that they've used exclusively out of the backfield is Gurley he's looking in our system very much like a lock in cash games do you agree
2: yeah, I like Gurley. I think there's not much to not like about Gurley. So I hate to, you know, be the guy who just points out the very obvious play. But um, I guess the bigger question, I, I think he's easily a lock on DraftKings. You know, I just don't simply don't understand it on FanDuel. 10-8 is still very expensive. We've never paid that amount for a player in cash games before. So I'm gonna look awfully hard and just make sure that I'm not giving away too much in order to get Gurley. If that makes sense. Um, I think you know, there's obviously a lot of signs to be bullish, but when you have a guy perf- outperforming the field to this degree, uh, someone right now is 40 fantasy points more than the second place running back, uh, that usually, more often than not, you know, I've said this about Mahomes, I've said it about other players too, more often than not, we will see at the end of the season that gap not spreading as fast as it has so far. And you're paying an absolute maximum on Fandle anyway for a guy who probably is ha- has to have had some lucky things go his way too so yeah i'd rather not play him on Fanduel, i think but on DraftKings, I'm, I'm gonna certainly play him.
1: and the lucky thing in this case for him is touchdowns it's not lucky because they use him touchdowns
2: that's that's pretty lucky even reg- even considering the
1: amount of usage that he has right that's what i mean so like you can't it's there's i hate to call this after the fact but like you're just bound for touchdown regression at some point, especially when your offense is this good. Like, um, and mostly because I mean, like, you just have other ways to score touchdowns. At some point, that the touchdowns were probably just going to come down. Seattle has not figured out what they want to do with running back. Who the hell knows who's playing running back on a week-to-week basis for this team? Mike Davis, Chris Carson. Like, they don't penny had, early in the season. They don't seem to know. Probably doesn't matter in this matchup against the Rams. I will say for the Rams. Very cheap on DraftKings for defense. 2400 for this defense on DraftKings um, in a game where they, they should control um, and they could force uh, Russ into some mistakes. Russell Wilson obviously just not, not even running the ball anymore as a quarterback. The 2400 uh, looks pretty enticing for the Rams defense uh, in a game they probably are just feeling... Like they want to come back and win after the loss to the Saints. Uh, okay, now we'll finish it off with the Packers and the Dolphins. This is a, this game is at the, in a 425 game, even though it's in Green Bay. Packers with one of the highest uh, implied totals of the day at 28.75, minus 10 home favorites. We talked about Rodgers as being a clear cash game play for us. Um, they did lose Geronimo Allison for the season, and it looks like they're going to turn Scantling back into their third wide receiver. Uh, any overall thoughts here? And I'm gonna t- I want to talk real quick about where we stand with Aaron Jones here in cash games.
2: Yeah, sure. So for starters, I don't think the Allison news matters as much as it did when Randall Cobb wasn't out there. (laughs) I think uh, Marcus Valdez, Scantling... He's actually, I think, a pretty good receiver. Uh, You know, we played him against Detroit in that first week that he was starting just because Green Bay was just flat broke when it came to wide receivers. And he's been pretty effective since. I mean, in two games he has 100 receiving yards uh, where he caught only three balls. So certainly for big tournaments, I think you're going to see a lot of people want to stick their neck out there. But I think the more likely scenario is that they elect to lean even more heavily on Cobb and Devontae Adams. And I think both of those guys, I mean, Adams is now really expensive. And if you're picking between him, I have a soft spot for Adams for some reason, not exactly sure why, but if you're picking between him and other guys in a, like near 9,000 on FanDuel, probably Adams isn't going to be the guy you land on. Uh, I do like Rogers though, as sort of that naked quarterback, you know, without any of his wide receiver pairings. Um, I am not as
1: high on Jones as you are, but I would like to hear the case if you're willing to make it. Well, okay. The case for him here is that he is the guy that I think in when they are playing from ahead, I think he's the guy that they... He's clearly the better running back of the two between him and Jamal Williams. I think that um, just from having read different like breakdowns of the, of the position and what Jones offers, that the reason he has not played as many snaps is mostly because... He's struggled in uh, pass protection and also I get he did have a fumble last week. But I think from a talent perspective, just like a pure running ability, it does seem like Jones is the better excuse me, is the better running back, went fourteen for seventy five last week, also had four targets. I guess mostly what I'm thinking is at five thousand, if he's moving in the direction of just being more of their featured back, which it does to me seem like that's the case, this is the spot to buy him in as big favors, especially if they get a if they get a lead. Um and this is, maybe this is just too much speculation here, but if they get a lead, he seems like he'd be the guy that would sort of run downhill for the game. I don't know if that's too much to speculate on cash games, mostly because I'm looking at him at around that $5,000 price tag. And whenever I see a 10 point favorite with a running back who is good you know good from a fantasy perspective especially good from a uh, yards per carry perspective that is where I kind of I do want to almost take a risk and stick my neck out a little bit for 5,000 DraftKings and the fact that they've used him in the passing game as well I think helps his floor also is that like am I going too overboard on Jones because to me like so if I'm looking at like Aaron Jones or Nick Chubb Chubb's 500 more than Aaron Jones would you feel would you who would you feel better about at their current price points just judging by like what the game script could look like
2: yeah. Okay. So a lot to unpack there. I think, for starters, I don't know that there's any real evidence that they're using, going to use Jones more in the future than Jamal Williams. They've actually been on a pretty consistent timeshare. And even last week, uh, Williams touched the ball nine times, and Jones touched the ball sixteen times. So, you know, if, if you can, that's just like classic two-down back territory, right? It's two-thirds of the overall touches that were apportioned to the running back. The prior week, Jones actually had a, a bigger share of the overall rushes and uh, Williams saw no targets. So I think it's just been basically fluctuating based on matchup, and I think they probably see Jones as the better, you know, just between the tackles back, but it just really hasn't meant that much this season, right? I mean, yeah, he's gotten some carries, but I think the plan in Green Bay is just not really to run the ball all that much. Uh, Yeah, sure, Williams was carrying the ball more this season, but there were just a whole stretch of games. I think it was basically since week two where neither Jones nor Williams carried the ball more than 11 times. And so, yeah, you like to see the carry increase, the raw absolute carry increase from Jones last week against New England. Uh, But that was kind of an across-the-board running game increase for Green Bay. And I guess the big question is, do we think that's the plan for them going forward? I don't know. There's a lot lot that needs to go into... I think there's more speculation than I feel comfortable with because you're projecting a continued increase for Jones in terms of just raw... Overall touches, and I don't personally think that's appropriate. Um, I think starting with where he was, like averaging the last two weeks, I think is you can make a reasonable case for it. And then you're probably looking at like a 14 touchback. I think in that case, I'd probably rather play Chubb. I'd probably rather play neither. <laughs> but if if I had to pick between the two, I think I I like Nick Chubb and Cleveland's you know bullheaded insistence on giving their feature back 18 carries again.
1: Yeah, I think I'm, I'm definitely more bullish on Jones here than I get, and I'm, I'm having trouble making a clear case for it because it's mostly just like a gut feel, and I know that's never a great way to go about things. Right. All right, we're going to get out of here. DFSR.com is the site. DailyFantasySportsRankings.com slash deals gets you a free seven-day trial to our projection system powered by our good friends over at Lineup Lab. So if you sign up today, it's obviously going to take you through uh, all of Sunday's games and cover you for NBA along the way. So go check that out. DFSR.com slash deals get you started. Buddy, enjoy week 10 in the NFL. I'll talk to you next week. Oh, I will.
0: Welcome to Sherwin Williams. Hi there. I heard paints are 30% off. Yep, and stains too. Right here. Mm-hmm. Only at your neighborhood Sherwin Williams store. Right now? Well, August 29th through September 9th. Ah, uh, bring it in. I'm a big hugger. It's cool. Ask Sherwin-Williams August 29th through September 9th and save 30% on paints and stains with sale prices starting at $26.94. Only at your local Sherwin-Williams store. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details.